Welcome to Here With Me, Maggie John, a podcast about life stories and lessons learned that asks the question, what got you to the place you find yourself in at this point in your life? Today's guest is a walking miracle. Absolutely. I cannot wait for you to meet her. Uh, And uh, for all of the America's Got Talent fans out there, you might remember her name, Kechi Okuwuchi. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, don't worry, because by the end of this podcast, you will not forget her or her powerful story. She is literally proof that miracles still happen to this day. And Roxanne is back for a black girl chat. And today we're going to be talking about finding the right tribe. I don't know about you, but as I get older, my tribe gets smaller. There are only probably a handful of people that I fully let into my life. And I hear from others that I'm not alone. So we're going to discuss how to circle yourself with friends who are for you absolutely for you. That's going to be a a juicy conversation. All right, let's get into our episode today. Kechi Okuchi is a Nigerian-American recording artist and motivational speaker who on December 10th, 2005, was one of two survivors in the Sosoliso Airlines flight 1145 crash. You heard that correctly. One of two survivors. Ketchy survived with third degree burns on 65% of her body. And get this, a singing voice given to her by God, literally. She's written a brand new book called More Than My Scars, The Power of Perseverance, Unrelenting Faith, and Deciding What Defines You. Okay, so if you have ever struggled with figuring out your purpose, or even just fought to hold on to life, like literally fought to hold on to God, why am I here? Why am I on this earth? This is a conversation for you. You will not want to miss it. So here is my conversation with America's Got Talent finalist, Kechi Okuchi. All right, Kechi Okuchi. Let me try that again. Kechi Okuchi. I got it. Is yes. here. Thank yes. you so much, Kechi, for being with me today. Thank you for having me. It's going to be I, great. It is going to be great. And uh, we had a little glitch. So we're starting all over again. Thank you for your <laughs> grace on that. I love to ask people at the beginning of, pod, of my podcast, um, what what brings you here to this place right now? Where are you at this place right now? It could be mentally, psychologically, spiritually. How would you describe the place in which you sit at the moment? I think the best description would be, I think the most overwhelming, the overwhelming feeling right now is spiritually where I feel like I'm at is I am in the waiting. I'm currently waiting. I'm I'm currently trying to practice patience and remind myself that God is in the waiting, you know, um, and this applies to so many different things in my life. Like at the moment, I feel like I'm in a waiting period and um, I anticipate good things. And uh, I hope that, you know, um, I can be patient enough to just, to just, you know, wait 
and have these things in God's time, you know? So that's, yeah. that's where I feel. I'm in the waiting season right now, for sure. As you, you've been doing a lot of waiting through your life and, you know, thank you for writing this beautiful book, More Than My Scars, The Power of Perseverance, Unrelenting Faith and Deciding What Defines You. Um, let's start off the morning of December 10th, 2005. Mm. What was the day like? So December 10th, 2005. This was a very normal day. Started very regularly. Nothing unusual, nothing out of place. I remember um, it started very early because we had to, um, you know, get to the airport on time to board the plane. And when I say we, I mean myself and 60 other students who typically travel. We travel in a group because we live in the same area. So, you know, this was also very routine. You know, this is a trip that we've made a, like multiple times over the last six years, you know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't anything unusual to be flying that day. This was how we got home and mm -hmm. how we came back on campus because I went to a boarding school. So, you know, this was just a regular Saturday of going home for Christmas holidays. I was 16 years old. I was a senior in high school and I was going to start my SAT studying once I get home. Like once I got home, it was going to be prep time. And then the next semester was going to be the SATs. So, you know, that was like what was weighing on the minds of every like senior at that time. And so, you know, it was in that kind of feeling and atmosphere that we were going home. So 61 of us, we boarded um, the school bus, got to the airport. And then eventually boarded the plane, regular commercial plane, carried 109 people on board, including the flight crew and mm -hmm. other passengers, you know, just random people. And so we took off. Everything was fine. Everything was normal, very uneventful, just regular flight. And then the turbulence started during the descents. And I remember at first, we're just like, you know, I mean, it's with flying comes turbulence, it's not a big deal. But then it started to get really bad and exaggerated and just like, worse and worse and worse and then people were just kind of like quiet like none of us said a word i just remember the tension because it was like we we were all thinking it like but no one wants to be the one to say it because it's like why would you jinx the situation why would you say such a thing you know because it, it rarely happens so even if it's on your mind you're like there's just no way and then there was this scream from the back of the plane and then the panic just started like she triggered that scream just triggered the chaos and it wasn't like anyone was running around or anything. It was just, we're all strapped in. It was just people started screaming, screaming prayers at the top of their lungs, screaming God's name, screaming Jesus. Everyone was just like, what is happening? And I remember just sitting there like, shell, like just kind of, kind of like shocked still and just kind of confused because this doesn't happen in real life. Like, what is this? This doesn't happen. And I remember just like different things flashing in my mind, like my family, my friends. And it was like, wow like what like is it it was just a very surreal out-of-body feeling and I remember the last thing that happened I remember clearly happening last thing I did holding my friend's hand in the aisle seat across from mine and and then it was just this this scraping metal sound and I can't I don't even know what it, maybe I don't even know it was just like nails on chalkboard like jarring inside the brain and then and then just darkness hmm. just just I was just everything just faded to black and it was just a lot of nothing and then 
I was opening my eyes and I was horizontal, you know, hospital bed and mm-hmm. five weeks had passed and um, I was waking up from a coma and I was in a whole different country now, you know, from Nigeria, I was now in South Africa in the hospital called Mill Park Hospital in Johannesburg. And that was where my new life started. You know, that, that was when everything changed. As you said, your life changed after that. You spent so much time in the hospital. You were in a coma in your book, you say, from December 11, 2005 to January the following year, 2006. Mm -hmm. And yet you were hearing and kind of, you were hearing people speaking to you. You were dreaming and all of these things were happening. A lot of spiritual interaction as well. Like that's always been something that people wonder and question, like people that are in comas, do they hear their loved ones speaking to them? And it seems like you did, you were hearing your mother, you were hearing music, all of these things were happening. It was so weird. It was so, it was a weird feeling to be like inside a body that like was obviously unresponsive mm. and like unconscious it, it wasn't doing anything on its own to keep itself alive it was just kind of lying there and and and, and being in it was a it was interesting to be inside that kind of body because my mind was fully like there were moments when my mind was so awake and alert that I could literally use the sounds around me to kind of paint a picture in my mind of what was around me. And it was very interesting, you know, and this happened as a, it was a progressive thing in the beginning, all I would be would just be this floating mass inside my body. But then as I, like, as the consciousness like came back in my mind, like then you never felt like I was trapped in there either because it felt like I had to be there for whatever was happening outside to to like be done you know I didn't feel like you know it was like there was never an impatient feeling like I need to get out of here it was always like okay so this is where I'm at right now um and uh I guess that's probably just because my body was like really seriously intensely trying to decide what it was going to do how it was going to react to this if it was going to survive or not and I, I just feel like I had I had no control over how my body reacted to this whole thing but my mind my brain, those things were there and they were fully still me. And, and I, I could hear everything around me. And I, as time passed, I could hear more and more. I could hear from not just the dripping of the machine and the beeping sounds everywhere or like the swishing of curtains, but I could hear music. I could hear whole, eventually the music became like whole songs. And at first I would hear like bits and pieces of, of a song and another song. And then sometimes, and after a while I realized it was a cycle. So almost like someone was playing the same song over and over, like over like a certain amount of time. So that's how I realized, you know, there's, this is probably like days passing or moments passing when like someone would come and play this music and then leave and then come back. And then when they leave, they play the music again. It was just interesting to see how the mind works and how God can work through any circumstance. I just, yeah. I think this body that he created is incredible. You yeah. Know? I was just going to say how complex and incredible our oh, body is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I thought what you said on page 48 um, was so profound, and I'd love for you to just share that a little bit more. You said, staying alive was exhausting. Explain the emotional, 
physical toll your body was going through that those words staying alive was exhausting. It's, I have to say, like, just off the, on the side, like just hearing someone literally like have, having gone through my book and read my book is literally the coolest thing ever. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) You made it girl. You have made it girl. (laughs) Page 48. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. That just wow. Okay. Wow. Like these are things I rarely get to talk about just because of the detail that it requires, you know, Mm. it really, it felt there was a point and this was after, this was specifically after waking up after finally, um, my, after my body was now like had been roused from the, cause it was a hospital induced coma. So it was a coma. They put my body under to like get itself like healed a little bit before, you know, I, kind of came back into it. So when they like started to get me, you know, conscious, it was very gradual. And then I got to the place where finally my eyes opened and I was now kind of like the mind and the body had kind of combined and they were like present at the same time. And once that moment, once that became, once that shift happened, it was, I, it don't like, it hit me the effort that it takes to be inside a body that is functioning or like that is trying to function. It, it It's it's so different from like when I was in the coma because I wasn't doing anything, you know, I was just existing. And then when, when I, when they brought me out of the coma, it, I could feel the fact that like this body that was alive was not because of me. It was like these machines and that basically I could feel the fact that like, if these machines were disconnected from me, I would disappear. And so it was just interesting because in those moments in the beginning, it felt so much easier to just let go and just, and just allow the floating to happen, you know, and just like disconnect from the body because the body, it was so heavy. It just felt heavy and exhausting. And like, I remember moments when I would feel like I was fading and it would always be like a thought about my mom or her voice or something that would like literally literally anchor me back to my body. And so I, those beginning times I needed something because I, by myself, I had no reason to stay because it was so difficult to like stay attached to my body. It was just so, it had fallen apart and it was just, it was exhausting. But like having something that was intangible, like a reason to keep coming back, to keep myself connected to this body, it was very important in that beginning, in like those few first months. And my mom was like 99.9% of that reason in that beginning time. So I don't know that without her and without her presence, like in my life from the beginning, from before I even opened my eyes, that I would have made it. It was definitely always easier in that beginning, like in those beginning times to let go than to hold on. And so without like a good reason to hold on, I could have, I just... I just wanted to, I would have just let go and just like floated away, you know, and all those things that I, in my mind were, are just a matter of like, I, it, it, it's to me like floating away, but that's literally just death. That's, <laughs> that's what that is. Like to me, it's just like a letting go. And just like, I felt closer to that other side than to like, to react, like to earth. I felt closer to the, the like non-tangible spiritual part of like whatever reality is. 
you had third degree burns over 65% of your body. Um, You were one of only two people that survived Mm -hmm. this plane crash. When I read about you learning of this news and it was kind of, you know, sequent, like it took some time before you finally mm-hmm. found out everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to re-traumatize you, Ketchy, but as much as you feel comfortable sharing, because, you know, obviously there has been time, but that, that's still a, obviously a painful part knowing that you, you lost so many friends. You talk about struggling mentally and psychologically through that obviously um yeah just talk to me about just even where you're at now as you continue to process I can imagine that that's just going to be an ongoing process throughout your life oh yeah up until that point I thought just one person had gone it was like someone my mom had told me about this kid like in my school like one of the kids that were on the plane that were among the students like all of us there was a someone I didn't know basically had had passed away and so as far as I was concerned, I knew that was the only casualty, like actual fatal, you know, part of the accident. One person, you know, I didn't even know him. And I remember when my mom first told me, I just, my heart just went out to like whoever his parents were, whoever his loved ones were that like had lost their baby, you know? And I remember just like that alone was just so hard to deal with the fact that anyone had gone. So of course at that time they knew, oh yeah, I'm sure they just like had a meeting and were like, oh, she's definitely not ready for like everything. So, so the day they told me, it was, oh, it was just, it was heartbreaking. It really was because it was just like, like really? Like, I, and it was just so hard to comprehend because I just kept, my friends' faces were just like flashing like, 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 like photos just across my mind, like someone was flipping like an album. Mm-hmm. And I was just like seeing all their faces. And I was just like, so this person's gone and this person's gone. And, and that was my first ever real encounter with death. I'd never, before that, I'd heard of it. I knew of people that had passed away, but we were not close. I didn't really know them like that. And if they did pass away and we were close or where, or I even knew them, I was not in that situation that, that caused them to lose their lives. So it was completely different knowing that something that I also went through actually took someone else's life completely and not just one person, but like 107 people. It was just, it was a lot to take. And I just, I could not understand. It was just, it was like, this is just, this doesn't make any sense because how am I here then? Like how, I don't understand. Like how, so if it was bad enough that like people actually died, like multiple, how the heck is even one person here? Like at that point I started asking so many, I needed to know like everything, every detail. I wanted to know how bad was the crowd. I wanted to see pictures. I wanted to see how the, cause I wasn't, I wasn't believing. I was just like, I'm sorry. Like how, like, cause it, so far I just, I thought the plane maybe like crash landed, hmm. cracked two, took one life and the rest of us were okay. I thought, I got the worst of it. I thought I was like maybe the only person in the hospital that got like the worst, like, you know, injuries, but like everyone else was okay. They all were like, they were healing or they were like back in school. Like, and then that gave me perspective, like, wait a minute. Like, okay. So two people survived. Okay. So what you're saying is that like, this was bad enough to take over a hundred lives. Okay. 
So I only, only me survived in my whole school. Okay. So what you're saying is like all this time I have been feeling sorry for myself that like, oh no, catchy, you know, woe beside me. I got all these injuries. Everyone else is okay. Meanwhile, I was like the one that was in the best case scenario. Like it just, it was just like, what even is this? What does this even mean? And why would something like this happen? Why would God allow something like this to happen? These are children. Like, so, you know, there was all these struggles and I just remember just crying and weeping and I felt like my heart just felt heavy and like, like painful. And I just wanted to wrench it out of me because it was just, it was just hurting so much. And I just kept on thinking of all of my friends. I kept thinking of their parents. I just felt so bad for them because like, I knew so far they had been like, all these parents had been calling. They had been praying for me. I'm just like getting perspective was just, wow. You mean all this time they'd lost their kids and they had time to like be praying for me. You know, it was just, wow. It was just, it was overwhelming in every way. And I, I sunk into like a confusion and a depression, like a pit of just confusion and, and just depression for weeks. Cause I was just inconsolable. I just, and then after the, the, like when the crying, the constant crying stopped, it became like the, the confusion just kind of like, ex, like it just kind of expanded. And it was like, I don't understand. That was really like the worst moment in my life in every way for in like the pain, the, everything I was going through so far, it just all of a sudden just meant nothing because it was like this, no matter how bad it is, Keshi, you're alive. This is literally best case scenario. And that was hard to deal with. That was hard to also accept because I hated how I felt, you know, I hated that the the pain and the difficulty of going through these injuries was, it was something I was already struggling so hard with. And now I had to like, accept that it was actually like a blessing that I was in this position. Oh my God. No, yeah. You, th- you talk about having over 70 surgeries during that time in the hospital and, um, after five months moving from the TICU uh, to the burn unit in South yeah. Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about uh, that pain and the process of, you know, you talk about the itching and just the uncontrollable itching and your mother being there. And I love the relationship you have with your mom. It's <laughs> so beautiful. Um, yeah. Like as you're processing all of that and asking God, even like just even wondering why you're existing why you're there, why you're in that pain, all of those things. As you look back now, Ketchy, mm-hmm. um, what do you think about that time of your life when you went through all of that pain? What do you think, like, was God trying to teach you something through that time? If he did, what do you think he taught you? Now, in hindsight, you know, as you're able to look yeah. back. Yeah. Hmm. I think the most important thing that I learned during that time, and I may not, I, I may have not realized it as it was happening, was really my perspective, my perception of God himself. Mm. I needed to decide who he was going to be in my life. Mm. And I think, I'm not saying, of course, that like this whole thing happened just to teach Ketchy this lesson about God. Mm. But through this horrible thing that happened, this is what was born out of it. Many things were born out of it, many, many things. But I think 
I think the most important thing was my perception of God and what kind of relationship I wanted to have with him. Mm. And then on top of that, based on that foundation, how I wanted to, like the relationship I wanted to have with my scars and everything that was different now about me, you know, um, I had to decide that too. I feel like, you know, it was also a moment for me to sift through the nonsense, you know, and, and really focus on what the important part of identity is, because that was going to be something that played the most significant role in my life and being the catchy that I was supposed to be, that God wanted me to be. So it was building that identity on Christ. But then before any of that could happen, I needed to know this Christ. I needed to figure out who he was going to be. You know, before the accident, he was just this like stern father that just didn't want, like punish us if we did bad things. It was always just basically watching us, like making sure that we kept our feet in line. Mm-hmm. And then after the accident, he was just this, this being that my mom and my family believed in and prayed to, to heal me and to give me peace. And as far as I knew through their prayers, it was working. So, so I believed in who they believed in. So it was a kind of indirect belief that I had at that point. And then I got to a point where it was like, how do I get that for myself though? Like, do I, do I want to, how, like how much, cause it just felt like very limited to be able to only access that that thing, that good thing through another person. And I started getting curious. It really, my mom, it really all comes down to my mom because like it was the way that she depicted faith and the way she depicted who God was that made me, it drew me to wanting to know this, this person, to know her God. And so it, it developed into the, from like this derived, you know, indirect faith to like exploring for myself for the first time ever who this God was. And if knowing him, honestly, the beginning, no, no, just full honesty was, I just felt like I wanted access to that piece. And if I need to know him to get that piece, then so be it. So that was my approach in the beginning. And I was, I was getting there. I was learning. And then, and then I just got thrown into this confusion where it was like this itching and this pain. Why, you know, he's so amazing. Why can't he just take these things away from me? You know, why can't he just, you know? And so it was now like kind of trying to understand like, is he all powerful or not? Like, what, what are we dealing with here? You know? And so I started, I started trying to, I started seeing him as this, like, like bandaid or like this, this, like, um, like magician, you know, that would just, yeah, or a genie or a genie in a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. You just make a wish and he just like, you know, just takes care of that issue. Just one and done, you know, do I think that the accident had to happen? I had to have all these scars. I had to go through these experiences in order to learn these lessons. I'll never know. Who knows? I don't know. And I'm not curious about the answer either because that's um, that's a hypothetical that doesn't it doesn't matter. This is the reality I have right now. I don't know how I don't know if I hadn't had the, if the accident didn't happen, I don't know what path that catchy would have ended up on, what she would have done. I'd like to think she would have ended up, you know, understanding God anyway. But there's no way to there's just no way to know. And so with the cards I've been dealt dealt, I just want to be able to say that despite life happening, even though I got to this place in a very roundabout way, I still kind of ended up where God wanted me to be, you know? So I think that's, that's the, I think that's the best way I can put it when I think about it. 
And one of the places that I think God wanted you to be is be a singer and this amazing voice that God gave you through this accident. Tell me about the, you know, discovering, like you are always into singing, always into music, yes. but something changed mm -hmm. in you after the accident that, you know, just birthed this more of a desire and, and more of a gift that God had given you. Thank you. Um, yeah, honestly, you, you put it in perfect words. It was really a thing of like having this thing that I loved as a hobby and I just really enjoyed. And yes, my voice was good before the accident. Like it wasn't like yeah. I, you know, um, couldn't sing. I was, I was fine, you know? Um, yeah. but was I always able to sing the way I, you know, do now? No, definitely something changed, something shifted. And, you know, can I explain it medically? No, no one really can. But it's, it was an audible sound that anyone that knew how I sang before could literally hear now, you know? And so this shift, it was just like, oh, what an odd thing to like have. What an oddly positive thing out of this tragedy, this tragic situation, you know? It's just, it's almost like it's just random light in this darkness. And it was like, I mean, that's, that's cute. That's fun. I, I'm grateful for that. And so, you know, someone that already enjoyed music so much now being able to sing even more confidently and enjoying this new sound coming out of my own mouth, it was just like, this is nice, you know, and I can, I can do this lying down, sitting up. Like I could sing how, I, like it didn't have anything to do with how I felt physically. So, um, it was something I could enjoy regardless of how I was feeling, you know? And so it became this huge escape for me, like music. I, and you know, it's, I don't, I think most people are like this where you have like songs that define certain moments in your life, like songs that you hear that take you back to a specific time, mm -hmm. season, not necessarily when you first heard the song, but mm -hmm. like you just, the soundtrack of your life, soundtrack yeah. of your life, like the yes. soundtrack season, literally yeah. you have that. And that's, I have that for so many, like every phase of my life. And so, um, Having that was really, I think, such an important thing that God gave me because I needed some kind of light, some kind of good thing that like was completely separate and different from what I was going through. Nothing to do with it, you know, just, well, maybe everything to do with it because, you know, this change literally happened after the accident. But like, also, it's not something that had to do with like my physical appearance or physical, like my, my scars. It was just like a, a voice. And so after I moved to America, I think this was where they really like tapped into that and made it part of my therapy like you know I would have physical therapy I would have music therapy and that was like just such a wonderful time because music doesn't hurt it's one thing I can enjoy no matter how much pain I'm in and oftentimes it's a great distraction from what I'm feeling physically and it just it healed me in many ways you know all the surgery in the world could not do what music did for me and so having that was really a blessing is a blessing and um for me, it was really that. It was that escape. It was never something I I, I thought would go further than that. So mm. everything else that's happened in my life in the recent years is definitely shocking. I would call it unexpected developments. Maybe not to God, you know, obviously, but to me, for sure.
we're not going to give it all away because we want people to get the book. And again, it's called More Than My Scars. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you moved from the hospital in South Africa, moved Mm -hmm. back to Nigeria, and then eventually moved to Galveston, Texas, where you were at Shriners Hospital for a a while. And uh, your dad, who was also such an encourager of yours, had said (laughs) that you should go on one of these talent Um, shows. And you were just like, whatever, dad. (laughs) But it was a friend of yours that actually basically applied for America's Got Talent, got all of the paperwork. All you have to do is press send, Ketchy. And that opened the door. Okay, tell me about, I just laughed. Tell me about the morning when AGT, the young lady calls you and you are like half asleep. Half asleep. (laughs) Not even, you know, it's the weekend. I'm not trying to wake up. Right, of course. I'm like 8 a.m. and I get this phone call. And it's this lady, Chirpy, you know, and she's like, hi, my name is Destiny. And, you know, I'm a talent scout for America's Got Talent. We saw your application, your online application. And uh, we like what we saw. And we're just thinking, you know, you might be a great fit for the show for season 12. And, you know, we want to kind of like see where this goes. If that's, you know, how you feeling about that? And I'm just like, okay, thank you. (laughs) That's cool. Thank you so much. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. Bye. (laughs) And then I just like hang up and just go right back to bed. <laughs> I was just like, okay, anything to just get you off the phone so I can right. go back to bed. And then I opened my, like, my alarm actually rings for when I wanted to wake up. Like, yeah. And, yep. up, and I'm just like, I feel like something. something- <laughs> Did someone call me or I'm not really. And so I look at my phone and I see this call. And I'm like, what is this? And I call the number back. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I think I got a call from you earlier today. Like you said you called from like where and what, like, what do you say? What did you say? America's? And she just kind of like laughs because I guess she could tell I was sleepy. So, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you know, um, she was very gracious. And she was like, she repeated everything she said. And by the end of the phone call, I was just like, oh, my God. Um, and, you know, bear in mind, this was like two months after the whole thing with my friend happened where she was like, you know, press, do this. Send. Right, right, right. So, so much time had passed. We had both forgotten about this. Like, yeah. nothing happened for two freaking months. So we're not, yeah. I, I already was not like trying to put any kind of thought into this. Right. I didn't even think about it. I was not even going to do it. So like. And it was like specifically because I was like, they're probably, they get like thousands of these. Why would they sift through and find catchy? Like, okay, like why? So it was like, this is not going to happen. But as long as my friends, she's happy now, it's done. So we're done. You know? <laughs> and so to get that phone call was like, is this, is this actually happening? Because this is like, a movie. this is ridiculous. I'm so sorry. Like, what are the chances? Like, I, you know, immediately that one thing happened. It was like several other things came in my mind, like obstacles, like, okay. Like, I don't see burn survivors on TV. Like, I can't say I've seen one, not even like hmm. two. Like, I've I've not seen any kind of representation of like me online. So I'm just like, is this actually going to happen? Like, are they just like trying to see something? Maybe like test the market, see if people respond. Like, I don't really, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, how is this really going to go? Like, how far are they actually going to try to take this? So every time they emailed me, reached out, I'm just like, these people seem like they're, wow. They're serious months passed we're like all the way into april the next year and i'm like they're still like 
you know, talking to me. And I'm like, now they're sending me flights. I'm like, hold up. This is actually, they actually want me to come to LA. Like, this is going really far. Like, I'm not really. And at some point, my friends are just like, so when can we start getting excited about this? Because <laughs> like we keep waiting, like, okay, are they going to? And then they do. So like, at this point, can we start like screaming? Because this is happening, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it was honestly just like a very exciting time in my life because it was so out of the way of everything mm. else I was doing. You know, I, I was never going to do this with music. I was never going to put myself out there like that. So this was a complete shift in like regular life for me, for my family, for my friends, you know? And opened up a whole new door for God to just work amazing miracles hmm. you know, through. And it was just like every single step of the way, I just remember just always going to him like, are you, you're sure you want me here? Like, this is something you're, like, this is, this is you. Like, this is not me, right? Like, I'm not the one. Because, you know, a lot of times you do things and you're like, I hope it's God's will. I don't yeah. know if you really... Because, you know, if you pray God's will be done and then things happen and you're like, look, God, I didn't even sign up for this. So, like, honestly, whenever it is you feel like it's time for me to leave, just do what you need to do. <laughs> and just yeah. get me out of here because I don't want to be here if I'm not supposed to be here. If you don't want me yeah. here, just don't let this happen. You know, because it's going to be embarrassing. Okay. Like, <laughs> and I'm just like, look, if anything happens, I'm going to blame you. Okay. Like, because you, you did this. You brought me here. <laughs> and I'm laughing because we so do that. We pray, God, let this be your will. Let us walk in your and will. Then and then when we do, and then when we get into something, we're like, God, is this your will? Like we're asking questions. Like, why are we asking him? Like, we're obviously here because it is his will. Oh my goodness. He must roll his eyes at us all the time. <laughs> For sure. For sure. He's like, these people, these you know what I you know what I loved to catch you about your story. So you you know, you got up to uh the top 10, but what one thing that I really admired about you is that you wanted to make sure that you got through because of your talent and not solely because of your story. That was and explain to me why that was so important. And then Simon Cowell ended up saying those exact words to you, catching you are here because you are a good singer. And so that was affirmation yeah. for you. But why was that so important that people heard your gift? I feel like I I I was a very I'm very aware of how how um like unbelievable my circumstances are like how unbelievable just my life is i know that surviving a plane crash is an easily sensationalized story they don't mm -hmm. have to do anything special on the show to make it like it is what it is a good tv story it would make people have reactions and i didn't want that to be why i was there because then that would mean that i'm there for a story and that would mean i'm taking away a spot for someone that's actually talented mm -hmm. and so while I did love to sing and I love my voice, I being in that show in a competitive environment made me realize that I didn't have that confidence in my sound to like actually pit myself against other singers. It's one thing if I'm singing for fun or like I'm singing in my church, you know, worship team, mm -hmm. that's for God. There's no pressure. It's all good. Even if I don't sound great, they're going to be like encouraging. And it just so far, I had never like felt pressure to impress with my voice. It was just something that I loved to do and I enjoyed. And, you know, people around me that heard me would be like, oh, that sounds nice. And it was a nice feeling to have that confirmation or validation from just people who felt like, oh, yeah, she sounds good. But I would never have, like, put myself in that position because I just never actually felt like 
like okay she can sing but she can she sing to compete with other singers like actually have a situation where someone's like yeah this voice is good this voice is not as good as this voice like so like it was like I didn't want I already knew once people see me on that show they're already gonna think that she's there because of her story like mm-hmm. immediately you know I already knew that that was something that was a hurdle I was going to have to like I was just gonna have to deal with that because that's just how people are and they're going to think that whether it's true or not. So it was important to me that it really wasn't true, even if I can't prove it to people outside because I don't have to prove anything to them. But I needed to know from the show that like that's not the only reason they had me here. I needed to know that I actually belong here because these people could sing. These people had gifts. And so if I was only here because of something I didn't even do for myself, I mean, it's not like I saved myself from a burning plane, then it would be a problem for me. And I would never, I would never feel like I deserved to be there. Mm-hmm. So um, every time I saw, like in the beginning, before I learned not to look at comments and focus on all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I would see, you know, a few comments here and there about that kind of thing. Like, you know, you know, she's okay. You know, it's just like, you know, if she didn't have this story, she wouldn't be here, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like seeing that was like them confirming what I already believed, you know? So honestly, when I sang during the judge cut, which was the second stage, mm-hmm. and um. When I I remember as I was singing during that like judge cuts, even through my horrible cold, because honestly that whole episode was a was a miracle. Yeah. But like I remember as I was singing, I was like, "Huh, this is feeling really nice. Like I feel like I'm sounding great. I feel like I'm sounding pretty good. Like I feel like this is actually wow. Like I'm actually happy with this performance. Like I feel like I can actually go back and listen to this particular one. Like you know, and this is as I was singing. So when I finished, yeah. I was like, "Oh my god, I feel like I've done my actual best." Like whatever people say, I feel like this was the best I can give. Mm-hmm. And so to hear Simon say, like basically val- like actually confirm what I already yeah. was feeling to me was like, God literally just telling me like, just calm down girl. Like, yes, I put you here. It's not because of your story. Okay. Like, I mean, it's part of it, you know, it's of course it's going to be, but like, if it's talent, you got it. That's why you're here. Like, you know? And so it was like, uh, it just felt so, it definitely, not not only was it like relieving, but it was also a confidence builder because so far my voice had just been this thing that I enjoy with my family. And now to have people who don't owe me anything, who don't owe me any favors or have any reason to make me feel good about myself, like actually think that my voice was good was definitely something that encouraged me and gave me more confidence to the point that I went, by the time I got to the end of the show, I was a whole different person well, not whole different, but I was definitely much more sure about like my voice and the quality of it. I needed to be there because I had earned it. I didn't, I never, you know, all throughout my life since the accident, there's a tendency to see me and pity or I want to like just do things for me or let me have the easy way out in certain things just because of, and you know, I know that that's something that can easily happen just when you look at me, but in honesty, in truth, I really don't need handout. Like I don't, I because I'm quite capable. I'm and I know this, and just knowing that is what makes me feel guilty. It's like I can't just take this. So I really wanted to, just you know, be able to always hold my head high and say, you know, I use my own strength to do this thing or to do that thing. You've now, uh, you travel, you sing, you speak. Yeah, yes. Um, this is my last question for you, Ketchy. As you think about you know, the classmates 
that were on that plane. I know there was a sense as I read the book that, you know, the parents of those friends that you lost um, see you and the other survivor as kind of, I don't know, how would I describe it? Like uh, people that they can pour into um, as representatives of their yes. children. And that could be a an overwhelming burden that could, you know, that can kind of take over your life. That's how true. do you balance that with wanting to move forward and do what God is calling you to do, your dreams and aspirations, mm -hmm. but also feeling this ownership of carrying, you know, 60 odd classmates, people your age that didn't get to see today, May 12th, yeah. 2022. It always helps that like, there was never any pressure from anyone to do anything supernaturally incredible or, or amazing. They were always just happy that I was alive. They were happy mm -hmm. that and they were happy with my approach to life, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, it was never a pressure that I felt from anyone on like any of those parents at the very least. I felt it from some people, but not really people that mattered that much. And the people that would just be like, you know, he saved you for a reason. You know, I get that mm -hmm. a lot for sure. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, it gave me so much stress. But like those parents, I never got that from any one of them. Not one. I never... They were just happy that I that somebody survived this. And even if it wasn't their kid, and of course they wish that it was theirs. I mean, who wouldn't, you know, but they, they always made me feel like they were rooting for me. Don't ever give up catchy. You must live. You must live. You know, that's the feeling I got from them. And so it was this based on just that feeling of love and, and just prayer and like encouragement I got from them. It's, made me want to take up the mantle of like caring that that the souls of those that passed away like i i volunteered for that burden or that pressure it wasn't anything anyone put on me because it was the least i felt i could do as the one person out of these 61 students that survived the least i could do was to show these loved ones that they left behind the fact that i understand that this life that was saved was a blessing. It's a miracle. And it's not something I take for granted. I'm not going to just like, I'm not going to just float through the and go through the motions with this life. Like not anymore. I'm going to be intentional with this life. I'm going to live with purpose as much as possible. And whatever it is I do with it, I want it to be excellently done. I don't care how normal, it can be anything. I don't care if it's just working out or going to school, doing well in an exam or going to an AGT big, small, everything in between. Let me always be able to look back and say, I gave it my all in every aspect of my life. And if not for me, at the very least for those who didn't get to have the second chance, because I didn't want them also to be disappointed in me. I didn't want them to look down and be and ever feel like I wasn't, I wasn't showing that I appreciated that life is a gift and one that could easily just be taken away. So it was for them. It was for their parents, their loved ones, who I knew were watching me and praying for me. And um, I think I'm happy to take on that burden. I'm happy to take it on because there's never, it's never any, it's a self-imposed pressure. And it's something that makes me, it gives me purpose too. You know, it drives, it's part of what drives me forward. You know, knowing that like, whenever something good happens and I post about it, that these parents are watching and they know and they're happy to see me succeed. Yeah. You are an inspiration. You really are. Um, 
Thank you. Because, you know, and again, I think it's beyond your story. You have lived in, you know, an amazing story, but Ketchy, I think it's when God gives you a gift and you feel the freedom to use it. Because some, so many of us are giving gifts, but we don't always feel the freedom to use it. And I think that's, that's what makes you also, I think, um, admirable is that you are willing to step into that and and use it and allow God to speak through you. So thank you. Thank you for being a guest on the thank show today. You. Thank you for having me. It was great. It was a great conversation. Here is brought to you by MJ Media Coaching. Let's make your story shine. Are you an author who is in need of some media coaching? Maybe you have an interview coming up and you need some tips from a professional, what to say, and more importantly, what not to say, what to wear, and how to capture an audience. MJ Media Coaching is here to help. Or are you a podcaster looking to brush up on your interviewing style? MJ Media will help you get to know your audience and speak directly to them. Check out www.mjm.coach for more details. And if you mentioned that you heard this ad, you will get 5% off your first consultation session. All right, it is Black Girl Chat time and Roxanne Francis is joining me yet again. Hey, hey Roxanne, Maggie. how are you? I am well. It's so good to be here again. Good. And you know, we've heard such great response from our first uh our first episode, our first Black Girl Chat. So it's great to have you back and uh, want to hear some of your thoughts on my conversation with Ketchy. Yeah, I think it was such a phenomenal uh, conversation. It was so great to hear mm. her talk about her journey. I thought it was really, really, in so many parts stood out to me. Uh, she talked about um, being in the hospital and feeling like she was the worst of the survivors, like she was worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. coming to realize that she was best case scenario and mm -hmm. how um, the depression and the confusion that came after that mm -hmm. and how she wanted to find out everything. She wanted to look at the pictures. She wanted to, because she couldn't understand how could such devastation occur. And she was one of two people who survived, right? I thought that yeah. was really, really interesting. And the other thing, that I found interesting because you don't get to, often to talk to people who've been in a coma, but she talked about mm. being able to hear music when she was in the mm -hmm. hospital, um, in that uh, medically induced coma, being able to, I think, hear prayers. And I think that that's yeah. just so amazing to just have people around you who can pour into you, support you, pray for you, even in, um, her moments of of a physical challenge right um yeah that yeah. was that was pretty common. have you ever have you ever obviously neither of us have survived plane crashes but have you have you ever been in a scenario where you were just in dire straits and god has just said something to you or used that experience because i think that's what struck out at mm -hmm. me through the whole conversation is that God used that really painful time in Ketchy's mm -hmm. life to teach her who he truly is, that she needed to realize who God was for herself instead of living through her mom's mm -hmm. faith. So have you ever had that experience? I know I've had experiences where, um, you know, I remember going through a really hard time and God teaching me to not be distracted. Mm. 
by uh, disappointment and the struggles that I was going mm-hmm. through in my personal mm-hmm. life and and how, uh, you know, all of these things are distractions on what I'm really supposed to be focusing on. And that is my purpose and my and what he has planted me mm-hmm. here on this earth to do. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I've had uh, <laughs> a number of difficult situations. Um, I I had a season in my life where I was actually very, very, very depressed. It was um, mm. it was pretty contextual. There were some things happening, some challenges between myself and my husband, and I just it 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 became a thing that I was sad about, and then. Mm-hmm what it's so interesting what happened was I slipped into this 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 bout of sadness and then I just couldn't get out of it I just couldn't I was crying every day I just for about a good two three months I was just stuck in this zone and I remember just crying and asking God like what is happening like (laughs) You know, my poor husband didn't know what to do with me. We would go for walks and I would just sit at the park and cry. And mm. I remember God saying to me, okay, you now need to focus on me. You mm. need to, like, all the other stuff, you know, that's sort of crowding into your mind. I am, I am the true north. This, this, what you need mm. to really focus on is me. And I remember, yeah. um, I remember laying in my bed one time, just having some really dark thoughts. And yes, you know, therapists have dark thoughts. <laughs> I, I just was having some really mm-hmm. dark thoughts and some really dangerous thoughts. And I remember saying, okay, I don't want to do that thing that I'm thinking. So I'm just going to sit here and just say Jesus over and over mm. in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> And it got me through this really dangerous like hour because I just didn't want to be sad anymore. And oftentimes people think um, people who end up dying by suicide are somehow, um, you know, selfish or whatever. Quite often they just want Mm -hmm. the pain to go away. Right. And they don't know how else for the pain to go away. And I found Mm -hmm. myself in a place where I just wanted the pain to go away. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. And I'm just going to chant over and over. I'm just going to say Jesus. And it just got me through that 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 moment. And so yeah. I remember God just saying, just focus, just, just zone in on me. Mm. And I did that mm-hmm. for a few days and then a few weeks. And then, and I'm, I'm not trying to minimize or, or make light of other people's mental health situation, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's what got me over. And not only that, but it allowed me to see my situation under a different perspective. And, mm. you know, my husband and I were disagreeing on some stuff and I, I stopped seeing him as, as the, the opposition. Right. Yeah. And, and we started yeah. to, to, to really focus on um, the challenge itself as opposed to opposing each other. And, yeah. and, and that was super, super helpful. Um, mm. I remember another situation where um, my husband got really sick quite suddenly and I like I literally had to call 911 and I didn't I didn't know what mm-hmm. else to do I called the um um EMS and they were on their way and I, I didn't know who else to call and mm-hmm. the Lord literally said call your best friend 
and mm. um which you know was you <laughs> and yeah. you know it just made me realize in that moment so often we 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 sometimes find ourselves doing lives alone doing doing our lives alone and we're not meant to do life alone yeah. you don't have to have yeah. 500 people in your inner circle right right but you know we're not meant to do this alone yeah and i think you know and i, I thank you roxanne for being candid and honest about mm-hmm. that um you know, I think as I was listening to Ketchy's story and something that I didn't really get to sink into as much is that through her story as well, having a circle of people, a tribe mm. of people for her, it's, her mom is a, a big part of that, has been so important to her journey. Yes. And, you know, as I was thinking about this conversation, I was thinking about like when I was younger, it was like, you know, you had this big group of friends and all these people that you hung out with. And as I've gotten older, that group has shrunk Mm -hmm. to people who like are intentional that I want to be intentional with. I don't have a lot of time in my life. And, you know, I I love the fact that we can even be we can text each other and say, please pray or we can call each other up (laughs) and uh, and talk and whatever. And and so, yeah, like that's been really important to me is to build a tribe of people who, again, I don't need yes people in my mm-hmm. life. I need people who are for me, people who are praying for me, um, and and people who will correct me and challenge mm-hmm. me as well is so important. Yeah. How about you? How how important has tribe been to oh, you? It's it's been everything. And and to your point, as I've gotten older as well, my circle has gotten smaller. Um, yeah. And you're right. I've been. Uh, I agree with you. I've been more intentional around people who are are in that close circle because you know when you think about who has your ear or 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 who's pouring into your life right um you really do have to be intentional because it 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 really paves the way for uh where you're going emotionally um mm. feeling um feeling supported but i think that it's definitely important to have community. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I say to people all the time, you know, even in scripture, when God made mm-hmm. Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he just didn't mean mm-hmm. like male, man. He meant anybody, yeah. right? You know, right. when we're born, we're, we're not born and thrust into the wilderness to figure it out by ourselves. We're born into community. We're born into family, regardless of that, what that looks like. And as you get older, you know, people's, biological family things may happen but it's real even if you have friends who become family it's really really important and even throughout this pandemic you know when everyone sort of got sequestered to their homes connection has still uh been important and again to your point it hasn't been a connection of like 500 people it's been a really tight group of people and we yeah. check in every once in a while no we don't we're grown women we don't always have time for five or phone calls every other day yeah. right but we check yeah. in we text hey how's it going you're on my mind what can i do for you um i'm crying i need someone to help catch these tears <laughs> right yeah. just those yeah. pieces you know i i you know my husband's getting on my last nerve come help me with these kids yeah. right <laughs> what should i do yeah. just yeah. uh that touch base because we can't figure it out on our own mm-hmm. and 
when you are alone, it is the, the, the quickest way to feeling like you're becoming unraveled. Feeling, and that's mm-hmm. when the lies set in, right? When you're alone, mm-hmm. you're the only one who can't hack it. You're the only one going through this. You're the only one who can't handle mm-hmm. the kids. You're the only one who's struggling in your marriage. Um, you know, you're the o- you feel like you're the only one. I'm getting goosebumps just as we're talking right now. <laughs> but the power of uh, connection, the power of community, a, a, a girlfriend, a sister, a cousin, a parent, somebody. Yes. It doesn't have to be yes. 10 people, even if it's one. But we, yeah. when you are in connection with somebody else, when you are in community with somebody else, that's how we figure out who we really are. Because when you are alone, you just have your opinion <laughs> of yourself. And we right. all think we're great. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, you know, I don't know, like, how liberating it is when you hear somebody say, oh, yeah, I've been 100%. through that. And you're like, oh. Because I thought I was the only person on the whole earth that had gone through this. And so, yeah, just the reminder that, yeah, other people. And how can I learn from that other person who's journeyed through that as well? And that makes me think of another um, quality that I really appreciate about you, Roxanne, and some of my other friends is um, not being selfish with what you have. Mm. And what I mean by that is, like not being selfish by the journey that you've been on to be able to say, yeah, I've been there. Or when I went through that, this is what, because I think that's a crucial part for me when I'm looking at uh, the friends that I have in my circle are people who are going to be authentic, real, and are going to be um, just free giving about, yeah, this is the experience that I've gone Mm -hmm. through. Because I think that's, that's coming from a place of, I want somebody to learn from the experience that I've gone through. They might not, they might not um, be going through the exact same situation, but how can I share this information so that your journey is a little bit lighter? Yeah. And that's, that's, I think about being unselfish. That's about just fully giving of uh, your time, of your journey, of all of those things is so important. It's, it, it is important. And I think I get to that place because other people have done that for me. Right. I remember when my kids were really little and feeling like I'm, you know, I I can't do this parenting thing. Like I'm making bad decisions. I'm going to mess up my kids. And only to have people whose children are now teenagers saying, yeah, girl, just let them eat the crackers for dinner. (laughs) It's not that serious. (laughs) Oh, okay, Right. And recognizing that I am not broken, that this is actually a human journey. And and and. As humans, sometimes we don't know. We don't know what to do. We make mm-hmm. mistakes. We mess up. And and it's okay. Again, when you're alone, those lies, right? Yes. You are a mess. You are the only one. You are the worst parent in the world. And when we're connected with other people, we recognize the, the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the other mm-hmm. thing, too, is that when you are connected with other people, they see the beauty in you. And they affirm that because again, the lies, we're not enough. We're not this enough. We're not that enough. And, you know, in your interview conversation with Ketchy, one of the things that I really loved is that when she um, got on America's Got Talent, it was a friend of hers Mm. who saw the gift in her and sent in the application and said, hey, just hit enter. (laughs) Right. 
right? And started right. her on that path. And, you know, I... We all need that yes, person in our tribe exactly. who's just going to say, I will do the work for you, just press send. <laughs> or even just recognizing yes. this thing in you. Because she knew that yes. she could say, but she didn't recognize yes. that her voice was all that. Right? Yes. And so when um, someone in my community will say, hey, you should try out for this thing or here, I've nominated you for this thing. Um, mm-hmm. It just says, oh, oh, I'm, am I actually that? Like me? Really? Yeah. Right. And you know, you and I have, and pro- how- sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I go was just going to say, oh. you and I have had conversations about um, sometimes recognizing that thing inside of you and, and, uh, and, and walking into that. And sometimes yes. I'm able to walk into that because people will, will will pour mm. into you. It's kind of like when you have children and you 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 tell them how how wonderful they are. They mm-hmm. don't see that in mm-hmm. themselves until they need a mirror. They need someone reflecting. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of relationship. That's the beauty of of having that community, right? Yeah. It's funny. I, I was uh giving our youngest son some medicine this morning and I said, "How did you become so handsome?" Oh, I love <laughs> he that. Just, he just smiled. He just smiled at me. Uh, as you were talking, Roxanne, I was thinking how important to, to hear those words from another woman. Oh, yes. Because I don't know about you, but some of the people who have stood in my way mm-hmm. or have pushed back in my life have been mm-hmm. women. And so when you um, are in a loving relationship, in a friendship with somebody who is willing to cheerlead you as a friend and say, yes, I believe in you. And that there is room for all of us here and you're not competition. You're not competition, but we are in this together. Oh my goodness. Can I say that women, we need to do this more for each other. And it's funny because I hear this said a lot by a lot of women, but I don't always see it being acted Mm -hmm. out. And so when when I meet another woman that is celebrating other women who um, is is um, confident in themselves mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well so that they don't look at others competition. as um, competition, but they're willing to bring somebody yes. in and celebrate yes. them and use their platform yes. to do that. Oh, yes. my goodness. Is that refreshing? Wonderful. And it's safe. You feel yes. safe. Yes. I, I read somewhere, I, I read some clip somewhere a long time ago that said, you know, you don't dim your light if you light somebody else's candle, right? All yes. of us can shine. Oh, that's good. Right? That's good. And it makes the world so bright. Like, come on, let's light yeah. each other up. <laughs> yeah. You are so good at that, Roxanne. You are such a great cheerleader of other women specifically. I've seen you do that from day one that I've known you. And I think that's why I love you Aww. so much is because you cheerlead so well and i hope i do that of for you you do you do um, it all the but time <laughs> you, but, but, but you do that so well and i just think oh like you you just have a great quality just, in that i just believe in 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 giving people flowers while they're here right i just yeah. you know i i don't know it it's i sometimes i think it's it's to, to a fault like if i see someone if we're in the grocery store no. and you look fly sis i'm coming over to tell you <laughs> I do too. I do that too. I love 
I absolutely love doing that. I remember once I was in an indigo and this woman, I still wouldn't remember what she looked like. She had beautiful curly hair and she had the best outfit on. And I just went up to her and I said, you look amazing. And her face just like lit up and she's like, thank you. And I just like, I, she, I still remember what the woman looks like today. She was gorgeous and she needed to know that. I love doing that. I love doing that. And imagine how not that we're doing this in order to brighten someone's day you want but you want them to know yeah. right but ima- yes. imagine when someone does that to you imagine how it just fills your oh. cup right you could be having yeah. the worst day and for someone to yeah. say you know I, I sent someone a voice note the other day and they replied and they're like you have the best speaking voice I'm like first of all I don't know. but but thank you <laughs> Right, and that made yes, your day. Totally, that. totally. Yeah, yeah we, so our world. Good. Listen, our world can be, it can feel so discouraging, mm-hmm. and so, and and mm-hmm. also, everyone is fighting something. Everyone has yeah. some kind of fight, some kind of battle that they're going through that we have no idea about, right? And so, if we see something that is positive. If we see something that is beautiful, you know, why not, why not tell that person about that? Why not share that? Why not say, you know, you're so great at this thing at work or every time I ask you always come in clutch every time. Why not, why not just say the beautiful thing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also model that for the next generation of young women to know that, you know, affirming yes. each other, celebrating each other is just the way that we need yeah. to be as women. Yeah. We have so many other forces against yes. us, especially as women. And then on top of that as black women, how do we circle each other and create a safe, safe space, space That's it for each other? And that's, that's what it. we're doing here on Black Girl I love Chat, it. right? I love it. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Thank you, friends, course, for joining always, me yet again. This is, this is my joy. <laughs> Thank you for checking out here with me, Maggie John. I want to thank Ketchy Okuchi and Roxanne Francis for joining me today. Check out our Instagram page here with Maggie for more great content. We are all on a journey. Let's learn from each other. A new episode drops the 19th of every month. Hope to see you here next time. <laughs>